0: Christmas is a story of grace. As we walk through a series, Simply Christmas, we're gonna address the big picture of Christmas and it's simply grace. All of us are recipients of grace every single day of our lives. Christmas reminds us that God's power to accomplish his will will not be limited by the sin in our lives. Can I get an amen for that? The goodness of God and his grace to us allows us to complete his will. It's a story of grace. The Bible reminds us that we have a need for redemption because of <laughs> our own sins, as does the genealogy of Jesus Christ. If you were God and you were choosing what family line your son would come from, how might you choose that line? Well, I'd probably set him up really good and, you know, a healthy line physically, emotionally, spiritually. I probably would set him up in such a way that. They would be educated well and and they would be with a family that took courageous steps and yet when we look at the line of Jesus Christ, it's littered with sin. It's littered with people like you and I who all but for the grace of God are able to accomplish anything good. Instead for Jesus, he came through a line of people where lives were all messed up and not only messed up, Looking hopeless at times, the gospel is not good advice it 's good news that 's why we have the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It reminds us that there 's hope for us. It reminds us that Jesus can overcome anything that we 've done against him. Imagine applying for a job, you going and applying for a job, new job, and you go on and you meet the HR manager and you sit down and you hand him your resume. And so they look through your resume. By the way, your resume is always your best. I worked here. I accomplished this. Look at this achievement. Talk to these two references because they'll tell you really good stuff about me. We never put references to people who would tell us the truth. We tell them about things that are good for us and people that know us in good ways and, and would give us a good, good recognition of who we are. Sure, they'll share our struggles. Sure, they'll share weaknesses. But we're not going to put our worst enemy as a reference. But imagine going in for reference and are sitting with HR manager. And they said, well, so tell me about your family. Because family's important to our business here. This is a family place where family means something. We like loyalty. We like commitment. We, we value characters, uh, characteristics that keep tight-knit families. And so you say, well, let me tell you a little about my family. Uh, We have liars, cheaters, adulterers, murderers, and legal immigrants. That's the picture of Jesus' family. So as he goes in for interview, he said, Jesus, tell me about your family. Uh, Liars, cheaters, adulterers, murderers, and legal immigrants. You're hired." That's the line through which Jesus comes, and you're going to see it's an incredible picture of grace. Grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 to 6 of Matthew chapter 1. Would you stand with me at home, and would you stand here in our auditoriums as we read Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, would you read it out loud with me? Matthew 1, verses 1 to 6. Ready, read. This is a genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Tamar, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amadab and Amadab, the father of Nashon and Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. You may have a seat. Whole bunch of names. And if you were to do your genealogy, they'd be full of names, too but you're going to see a list of people that the Messiah comes to, his earthly bloodline comes through, messed up people, all but for the grace of God. The truth is, you and I are flawed, but Jesus is flawless. And because he's flawless, he can redeem the mess that we've made of ourselves. Can we all agree on this together today? We need help left to our own and only for the grace of God, any good can come from us. If we're left on our own too long, by ourselves, we'll screw things up. If we didn't have grace, we would be lost forever, headed to hell but for the grace of salvation through Jesus. Just stop for a second. I just hit on a couple names in the Bible itself. And think about the names in the Bible. Go back to some Old Testament history, Old Testament Bible stories that you might have heard. And maybe you never heard these. But these were people that were in the Bible that maybe this name rings a bell. Let's just begin with Samson. Samson, he had to have the worst taste in women ever. He was codependent before the term was ever in a psychology book. I mean, think about him and his love affair with Delilah. She tried to kill him on numerous occasions, and he kept going back. Can you imagine his friend saying, dude, who are you going out with tonight? Well, Delilah, well, didn't she try to kill you last night? Yeah, I know, but man, i will going to give her another chance. <laughs> and so he goes out again, and, and, she, and they, they meet at, the, at the, the water fountain again. They're sitting around the lunch table and said, so did you go out with Delilah again? How'd it go? Well, she tried to kill me again. So dude, listen, you're not going out with her. Yeah, I got one more, one more time. I'm just trying to, hoping that third time's a charm. Like, think about Samson, just, he made things difficult because of his poor choices. How about Abraham? Through Abraham, we know from the Old testament genesis the nations will be blessed we are products of Abraham God looked at Abraham and said Abraham through your offspring I will bless the nations it's he's our we would say our birth of our genealogy Abraham Abraham in his journey of following God prostituted his wife out to a king so he wouldn't die the king said who's that good looking woman with you well she's my sister it was his wife And there was a portion of his life two times where he lied to the king so that he could get favor with the king himself. Can you imagine 20 years later after he's sitting at the dinner table and coming home and he's trying to get his way and she says, you remember the time he took Abraham, the father of the nations, full of sin, but by God's grace, the nations would be blessed. How about Moses who led the promised People to the promised land. Moses, God's deliverer, was leading his people through to get to the promised land, was a murderer and was found out, but God used a murderer. How about Paul, who wrote 13 books of the New Testament, was known as the chief of sinners and who, by the way, ordered the execution of hundreds of Christians, yet he would be saved by the grace of of God. How about Uriah's wife that's listed in this genealogy here? Bathsheba, her name isn't, but Uriah's wife is Bathsheba. She had an adulterous relationship with King David and they got married and had a child by the name of Solomon. By the grace of God, Jesus came through. How about Rahab that's listed in this genealogy in Matthew chapter one? Rahab was a prostitute when Joshua and his men came to her and she protected them during the battle of Jericho. How about Ruth? It's a wee, beautiful story that we see, but she was a foreigner from another country, a Moabite, that God used in an incredible way. I don't want to lower the standards and say, live like you want to and abuse grace, but the picture is this. Had not it been for grace, none of us would be here today, nor would these people have been there. Christmas is a story about grace. No matter who you are or what you have done, there is room in the family of God for you. Can I get an amen to that? There's room in the family of God for you because of his grace. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation is a picture of grace, 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 where God didn't give up, where God didn't give up, where God restored, where God redeemed, and where God will make everything new for us. I come from a family of sinners. My family, I am a sinner. We are a group of sinners. You are a group of sinners. But for the grace of God, we wouldn't be lost forever, but by his grace through Jesus Christ, if we trust in the salvation of Jesus, we have eternity with him forever you see we need a Redeemer King and that's why Jesus came because the world is messed up. God will not be satisfied until it is cleaned up and redeemed for his glory. You may think that God's plan for you is over, but this genealogy shows that you that they have just begun. Christmas is a story of grace and I long to share it with everyone. This week me and my boys our boys went to Maryland to deer hunt and spent a big portion of the week there. It was a great trip, fantastic trip. Loving, hanging out with Josh and Isaiah. We built memories that'll last for a lifetime beyond me that we can talk about or they can talk about when I'm gone. Just priceless time in the mountains together. But on our way there... There is a place that we often stop in Breezewood called the Gateway Travel Plaza. And if you've ever been part of, of our Wild and Heart Men's Retreats, it's the place that we drive to in Breezewoods, Pennsylvania, and all the cars come together and they collect there. And so we say, meet here, and, and usually within a 30-minute, uh, you know, 45-minute period, of all the cars come in, and we wait to gather together, and then we drive into the mountain together is where Josh and Isaiah, were. I were at this week and hunted. But over the last seven or eight years, there has always been the same guy that works the night shift, we would say the early morning shift, that has worked behind the counter. And it's the same guy. And every time I go there, we talk and, I, hey, we're back, guys from Maryland. Yeah, you're gonna float down the Potomac River and, and, and you're gonna hike up or camp out up on the mountain. And I just felt convicted and compelled by God this time. And I told Josh and Isaiah, I gotta talk to him about Jesus like, we keep coming here, and I keep seeing this same guy. And if you know who I'm talking about, you've been part of the trips, and if you look at him, you can prejudge someone. His hair is down to here, and his bangs are straight across. He looks like a Christian rocker from Striper Band. That's what a picture kind of looks like. That gives you a picture. It's not a blow on him or a knockdown on him. It's just that's the picture that's there. And so I knew I wasn't going to leave that restaurant until I talked to him about Jesus. So I walked into this restaurant and to the place, the shop, where you can pick up some other things. And, and I walked up to the counter and we got masks on. He's got masks on. There's plastic everywhere. There's a hole that you got to pay through. It was like, knock that plastic down and just, and, and, and anyhow, another story for another day. And, and so, but I knew I needed to talk to him and find out, like, Jim, you can't let him go another year without telling him about Jesus. I was convicted deeply about this. I says, hey, man, I said, hey, I had a mask on or a gait scarf on. He didn't recognize me. And I said, hey, I'm, I'm here with my sons. We're going up to the mountain. You know us. We, we, we're the group that comes and floats. Down. Oh, yeah, I, said, I remember you guys. Yeah, yeah. And i was just telling him, I said, yeah, I'm traveling again. I said, hey, what do you think about Jesus, dude? He kind of looked at me. I said, can I tell you what I think about Jesus? He said, yeah, man, tell me. I told him I said what Jesus has done for me and told him in a nutshell my, my story and and then I asked him, I said, because I wanted to know. I was gonna leave there. I said, so what do you do with Jesus, bro? What do you do with Jesus? And he looked at me through his mask and you see his eyes and got his glasses on. He said, he's my savior, bro. <laughs> yeah, awesome. But I say this to say that I had to know. I couldn't stop one more time and leave him hanging there. I just couldn't do it. So I said, man, tell me your story. I said, man, I came to Christ when I was four, it's like 54 years ago. He said, well, for me, he said, it's 45 years. I was in Bible camp and heard the message and gave my life to Christ. And I said, that means we're brothers, man. He said, yeah. And I stuck my fist in through that hole and I wanted to knock the glass down. And just stuck in there and he banged me. He said, Yeah, we're brothers. But I left that place. In fact, I think I floated out of there. Just kind of floated out of there. Why? Because we got to tell the world about Jesus. We can't leave people hanging. I can't wait for the next trip back. I'm to see him again and see how he's doing. The reason I say this is we can prejudge people <laughs> based upon their past or what they look like or what they've been through or, and say... They're too far gone. (laughs) But the picture of Christmas in the genealogy of our savior is a snapshot of grace that no one is too far gone for Jesus to save them. So today, I'm gonna pick one person out of this list and his name is Judah. And maybe you never studied the story of Judah but it's a mess. It's a big mess. I even love saying, you've heard me say, Jesus, he's from the line of the tribe of Judah. There's something strong about that name, and there is. We'll turn to Revelation 5.5, and we'll just begin there, and I'll just show you where it all begins for me and where it began for Jesus. And hold your finger here in Matthew 1, but turn to Revelation 5.5, and John has this vision on the island of Patmos, and he's looking up into heaven, and, and he's seeing Jesus... And he describes him this way. This is John in the vision on the island of Patmos. He says in Revelation 5.5, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of what? Judah. The root of who? David. Has what? Triumph. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Jesus is referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah. In his genealogy so you would think he has his act together like if Jesus comes from Judah's line and he's referred to as lion of the tribe of Judah then we got to read some good stuff about this dude don't we in the beginning we'll turn back to Genesis chapter 37 let's take a look at the story of Judah first book of the Old Testament Genesis 37 And look at Genesis 37 and verses 26 through 28. Just follow along. It says this, Judah said to his brothers. I'll pause there. Joseph, account in the Old Testament, Joseph was the favorite son and he was the hated brother of of this family. And one text says that he had a richly ornamented robe. In other words, he got the favorite coat The Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament, is the only version that said he had a coat of many colors, by the way. It doesn't say it in in the, we would understand in in the Hebrew. But in any case, he was favored, richly ornamented robe, a coat of many colors, and his brothers hated him. So, they're so jealous of him, they want to kill him and get rid of him. So, they take him out and... Initially, they want to kill him. They throw him into a cistern with hopes that he would die, and then they fabricate a story to their father that, he, that he'll be dead. Meanwhile, he's in the cistern, and this group of foreigners come, and one of the brothers said, let's just sell him to these foreigners, and we'll go home and tell dad he's dead. That way, we get rid of the fave, and we'll get some favoritism from dad. Enter Judah. Right after they do this, it says in verse 26 of Matthew or Genesis 37 Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. He was probably feeling guilty. Verse 28, so when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. So he's gone. Dad thinks he's dead. They lie, all the brothers. Chapter 38, verse one, it says this. At that time, Judah left his brothers And went down to stay with a man of Adalam named Hira. There, Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her and made love to her. Let me just pause because this is important in, in Old Testament customs. In the Old Testament, when a boy, yes, a boy, 13 years old, reached 13 years old, he normally got married. Can you imagine your seventh grader getting married? Come on, moms, can you imagine that? So Judah gets married, seventh grade. He's down into, Mary's a foreigner, it says, a Canaanite woman, and he made love to her. And verse three says this, he, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son who was named Ur, son number one. She conceived again and gave birth to a son named Onan, son number two. She gave birth to still another son and named him Shelah, Son number three, it was at Kezeb that she gave birth to him. Verse six, Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was what? What's your Bible say? Tamar. Tamar is in the lineage of Jesus. So let's just pause. Judah gets married and has three kids, sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah, and the first son meets Tamar and marries each other. So now you have Ur marrying Tamar. She's listed in the genealogy. But watch what begins to happen to Tamar with husbands. Verse seven. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was what in the Lord's sight? Wicked. So what does it say? So the Lord did what to him? Played him me death. So... Death, number one. Tamar's first husband was a wicked man. And so the Lord just got rid of him, put him to death. Read on with me and watch what happens. Then Judah said to Onan, his second son, sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. Ur, who died, got one verse in the Bible. You know what it says? He was a wicked man and the Lord killed him. How'd you like to be inscripturated forever? That way. Even though we get it wrong over and over again, God's power to accomplish his will is not limited by our sinful screw-ups. So verse eight, brother number two, Onan. Judah says, okay, you have to marry her now. Deuteronomy chapter five and verse 25, don't turn there, but you can look at it later, or 25 verse five. Old Testament tradition and custom is this, and it, when you were getting married as a woman, if your husband-to-be had siblings, the next in line, if he dies, your husband, then you must marry the next person available brother that comes up next. So you know what you did before you got married? You went to Instagram, you checked him out. Who's that next brother? If you didn't like what you saw, you know that one day you might have him. Nope, deal's off. (laughs) So what happens? Er dies, next brother up, custom is, so now Tamar is married to Onan because that's the custom of the day. So what happens to Onan? He didn't like being married to Tamar it says in verse eight, then Judah said to Onan, sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to raise up offspring. Verse nine, but Onan knew that the child would not be his, so whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground. Parents, talk to your kids later. To keep from providing offspring for his brother. He refused. And by the way, the word Onanism comes from this Hebrew word, which means self-gratification. He is inscriptuated in the Bible and he is known to this day with his name because of this act that he committed there. He did not want to have a baby with Tamar because here's why, he was selfish and greedy. See, here's what he knew. If a child would be born to Tamar from him together, then he would have to give over the rights of that land to that child that was to be born and he did not want to share his property or the land. So he refused to consummate and have a child. And by the way, God did not look down upon this in any good way at all. In fact, look what it says in verse 10. What he did was what in the Lord's what sight? Wicked. So the Lord put him to what? Death. Death also. I'm starting to think, Tamar? Like, how in the world if you don't have any kids and no one's and everyone all the dads or husbands are dying, how in the world is a child going to be coming from your line? The Lord put him to death too. God does his greatest work in the mess of our lives. So watch what happens next. There's still this third son, Shelah, that's left. He's the last available son of Judah. And Judah is fully aware of of that. And so verse 11 says this, Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, live as a widow in your father's household until my son Shelah grows up because he must have been under the age of 13. For he thought, he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's household. Verse 12 says, after a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Temna. Now pause and think about this a second. Two sons dead. A long time later, Shayla, who's a, probably a baby, is now probably at the age where he could marry Tamar. Tamar has been in her, in her father's house all this time, waiting on Shayla to grow up. Because pull away, why is that important? Because if you were a widow during this time in this custom, you did not have any income at all. And you were looked down upon. The only income that you got was having children that cared for you. And so, it's a mess. Tamar's like, husband one dead, husband two dead. She's been grieving. She's living with her father. She has no income. Shayla is still a baby. she's growing up. Now Judah's wife is dead. Funerals everywhere. In verse 12 again, after a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shia, died. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went to Timnah. To the men who were shearing his sheep and his friend, Hira, the Adamalite, went with him. The unlikely list of unlikely people may be the greatest chapter on the grace of God in the Bible, Matthew chapter 1. And I'm going to show you why that's true. You see, the story isn't over and it's not over for any of us. You would think by now that Judah began to take a hard look in his life. Maybe he's thinking, Is all this happened because of what I did to my brother? And by the way, Joseph was still alive, but his dad didn't know he was alive. This was a contemporary during this time. He had yet to be found, and his brothers had yet to go there. So Judah was carrying this lie in the back of his head, and now his son dies, another son dies, now his wife is dead, and there's only one son left, and he is grieving from the death of his wife and of his sons. And this is what happens in verse 13. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her what clothes? What's it say? Widow's clothes. Covered herself with a veil to disguise herself and then sat down at the entrance to Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. For she thought, saw that, though Shelah, had, grown, had now grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a what? What's to say? Prostitute. For she had covered her face, not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, hey, baby, uh, insert Jim Brown paraphrase, Come, come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you, she asked. The deceit continues. Judah doesn't give Shiloh away. And I'm sure he thought, well, he'll probably die too. So Tamar becomes the very worst version of herself. By the way, she is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Tamar was desperate, like some of us can be. And we have to watch in our desperation that we don't try to take things into our own hands and do for ourselves what only God can do for us. She begins to control her future against the will of God, and that's always a wrong choice. And she is soon to get a dose of her medicine, and so will Tamar. I find it interesting how sin just breeds sin unless it's confessed, you see, at the core of who we are is something that is, isn't very pretty. Here is a sly woman who's trying to make her way against the ways of God. She wanted something to blackmail him with. And she says, okay, if I sleep with you, what will you give me? She knew what she was going to do with what you give me. She was going to hold that against him one day. Yet... In Jesus Christ, a prostitute and a king can sit down together. There's always hope. So she's a, she's a prostitute, posing as a prostitute. Judah doesn't know it. it's his daughter-in-law. A few years ago, I walked out front here at Grace and there was a man sitting on the bench over here And so I figured if God brought him this far, I need to talk to him before I go home. And so I walked over to the bench and just introduced myself and the booze. I could smell the alcohol, very familiar smell. I can remember smelling that as a kid at home. So it didn't turn me off because I figured this guy was troubled. So I sat down beside him. I said, hey, dude, tell me your story. What you doing here? And he began to talk, and he was a functional alcoholic. He was pretty coherent, even though he was inebriated. There are many functional alcoholics. I, I know many of them. And so I began to talk to him. I said, so, what brings you, what's your story? And I began to find out that he was a Navy SEAL. And so he began to tell me a story that he uses alcohol to cope with what he keeps seeing. And so before he moved on, I stuck out my hand. I said, I just want to let you know, bro. Thank you. Thank you for serving. he looked at me, I said, yeah, thank you. I said, I am able to go in that church and have freedom to present the gospel because you gave us freedom on the field. Tears began to stream down his face and long story short, I began to tell him about Jesus and who Jesus was. And as we were talking about Jesus, Got to a point, and I told him who Jesus was, and I said, "Man, would you like to trust in Jesus?" I said, "That's how I cope." I said, "If you want something that'll take away your pain, it's Jesus Christ, not alcohol." And he said, "Yeah, I would like to trust in Jesus." So both of us knelt, got down on the white bench, and he had a backpack on. I said, "Dude, do you need to take off your backpack?" And he pulled his backpack and a couple beer cans. And I looked in there; there were twenty-four bottles or cans of beer. And he was, and we set that to the side. And in his moment. Where God reached down, he prayed to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I took his beer over and I said, dude, you don't need to cope with this anymore. And I went over and unzipped it and dumped it in the trash can and took him home. But what I told him, he says, I have done too much wrong in my life for God to ever love me enough to save me. And I looked at him and said, dude, that's why God loves you. <laughs> that's why Jesus came. It's a picture of grace. And so we could pause and hit the button right here and think, how in the world can any good come from this story? Like, dad, father-in-law is about ready to sleep with his daughter-in-law and he thinks she's a prostitute and Jesus comes from that line, the Messiah of the world? Watch what happens next in this story. Verse 17, she, 16, she asks, what will you give me if I sleep with you? He says, I'll send you a young goat from my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it, she asked. Like, give me something to say that I know that's yours so that I can hold on to until you give me the goat. He said, what pledge should I give you? She said, your seal and your cord and the staff and your hand. Very sly woman. She answered, So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became what by him? What's your text say? Pregnant. After she left, she took off her veil and put back on her widow clothes again. Meanwhile, Judah sent a young goat by a friend with hopes of getting back his seal and his signet and what he left so he could sleep with her, so he could cover his tracks, Sent a young goat by his friend in order to get his pledge back from the woman, but he did not find her. Imagine that. He asked the men who lived there, where is the shrine prostitute who was beside the road at Enim? There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here, they asked. So he went back to Judah and said, didn't, I didn't find her. Besides Judah, holy cow, the men who lived there, there hasn't been, said there hadn't been a shrine prostitute ever here. Then Judah said, let her keep what she has or we will become a laughing stock after all. I did send this young goat, but you didn't find her. There's no shrine prostitute. Tamar is pregnant with her father-in-law's baby and it is a mess. It is a horrible mess. And from the line of Jesus Christ." Tamar is listed. Something's got to be fixed here, doesn't it? Well, watch what happens next in verse 24. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is guilty of prostitution. And as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. No grace at all. He just wants to destroy him because why? Because now his son, Shayla, can marry someone else and get rid of this woman. Every time she marries one of his sons, they die. She's a wicked woman and besides, she acted like a prostitute. Anyone that acts like a prostitute, just burn her. He commanded that she be burned, kill her. And all the while in the back of his head, he had had slept with a prostitute three months earlier. Verse 25, mean says this, as she was being brought out, picture this, as she was being brought out, she sent a text message to her father-in-law. And she posted on Instagram his varsity letter jacket. Size 40. Can you imagine the look on his face as he got this text message? And hashtag was, fits good. Hashtag, go Falcons. He's caught red-handed. The text says this. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff are these. Judah recognized them. You bet he did. And, and said, she is more righteous than I since I wouldn't give her to my son Sheila and he did not sleep with her again. The gospel says, the worse you are, the better candidate you are for the grace of God. Come on, come on, is that an amen? amen. That's what the gospel is. The gospel isn't good advice, it's good news to weary sinners like you and me. Verse 27, watch what happens next. This is where it all makes sense to us today. Verse 27 says, When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. As she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand, so the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and said, This one came out first. But when he drew back his hand, his brother came out and she said, this is how you have broken out. And he, he was named what? What's your Bible say? Perez. Then his brother who had the scarlet thread on his wrist came out and he was named what? Zara. Two sons, born out of wedlock to a prostitute at a one night stand. Can you imagine the conversation these twin boys had later at Jerusalem Elementary? Who's your daddy? Um, actually, he's my granddaddy. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me tell you a story. Yeah, my well, mom, yeah, she was having a hard time and she was grieving and she didn't have any money. And, and so she decided she dressed as a prostitute and she went down the street and then my, then my granddaddy, his wife had died and grandma died and. And he was walking in sin too and he was grieving and he probably remember what he did to his younger brother because he had done some wicked things to him and yeah, yeah. He saw this woman that was pretty and had a one night stand and and you wouldn't believe what happened. Mom got pregnant by my granddaddy. And not only that, I got a twin brother too. And little did they know in Jerusalem Elementary, by the way, that one day the king of kings and lord of lords would come through this line. Come on, can I get a witness and amen for that? Never, ever, ever, ever give up on anyone because the grace of God can take messes like this and bring a message of hope years down the road. You see, God loves us as we are, not as we should be, because we are never going to be as we ought to be, <laughs> all but for the grace of God. So, turn to Matthew chapter one. Now, maybe you forgot already. We spent so much time in Genesis, and you already forgot all those names. Like, they're just name, 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 name. I'm a and blah 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 blah. Go back to Matthew chapter one and look at verse three. Judah the father of what? Perez, and what? Zerah, whose mother was what? Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram. Look at the story, there it is. Your past does not determine your future. How do I know that? Look at verse 16 of Matthew chapter one. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of who? Jesus, who is called the what? Messiah. Messiah. When everything shakes, our God is unshaken. You know why I love this story? Many reasons. Because Jesus came from a broken family. And many of us come from broken families. And God can take brokenness and bring wholeness from it. When there is hope In the future, there is power in the present. Our Savior came from this line. God let the lineage of Jesus come from a tangled mess of dysfunction. Let me tell you, why do I love this? Because of the grace of God in my own life. God reached down into a broken family 54 years ago and rescued Jimmy Brown from that and said there is hope for you and your mama. There is hope for you and your sisters. There is hope for you and your brother to come and I will rescue you with the grace of God and I will take this brokenness and bring life. That's what he did. That's what he does for all of us. I love this story because never give up on anyone. The grace of God can transform lives forever. I am here today because of the grace of God. God let the lineage of Jesus come from a tangled mess. Imagine that plan as it was talked over in heaven. (laughs) <laughs> so what's your plan what, what, what are we doing God the Father God the Son God well I'm going to have you come down and you're going to be you're going you're to come from this line Like, tell me that part about Perez and Zerrigan and the prostitute yeah Jesus that's where you're coming through why because people need to know that there's hope in Jesus Christ too often we settle for less because we think God would never let us rise upon above the mess we have created but grace picks us up and cleans us off and makes something beautiful out of the mess that we created. There are times and will be times when it looks like it's over for us. Grace keeps picking us up. It's never over until God says it's over. The mission is never complete until he calls us home. If you've ever watched a series of movies on Netflix or whatever you want to watch it on, there's benefits to looking ahead. I like Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible and every episode of Mission Impossible, they have different names. It always looks like he's gonna die, like it's done. Like this mission is no longer possible. But because I know and I can look ahead on Netflix and I can see episode six or episode five or episode four, there's a picture of Tom Cruise on the front of the, the the Netflix or on the DVD. And so what I know, he's not gonna die, he's coming back. <laughs> There's hope because his picture keeps appearing on the pages of the next book, of the next chapter. It looks like it's over, but it's not over. And and the same is true for us. It's not over. Why? Because Jesus continues to be pictured in every book of the Bible. And when it feels like it's over and we screwed it up so bad, just look ahead. His face is there and we have hope in Christ. In the darkest, dirtiest parts of your personal genealogy, Jesus is turning your mess into good. That's Christmas. Grace, simply grace. And I don't care how screwed up your life is, our God is a God of grace. And if Jesus could come from that earthly line, there's hope for all of us. And that's just one snapshot of the names. In fact, study them. It is a total mess. Ah, but for the grace of our God. Oh, Lord, help us, God. May we not give up on each other. Maybe not even give up on ourselves. Christmas is a picture of grace. A mess. Prostitutes and deaths and funerals and selling brothers and lying to dads. And, and yet from that, King Jesus would come. Oh Lord, there's hope. God so loved the world that he gave Jesus at Christmas. We should go tell that on the mountains. In Jesus' name, amen.